Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, we want to understand it better, to go deeper into it, to hear a passage that maybe we've read a lot of times, especially the Sermon on the Mount has so many things that, that gets quoted a lot and thought about a lot. Help us go deeper into it and, and help us uh, apply it in a deeper way. May your word sink in. As we look at the mirror, may we see who you've called us to be. May we see who we are right now. And uh, I pray that you keep forming us, keep transforming us into the image of your son. So I pray that this sermon would do what you want it to do and be the words that you want to be said. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We just, we just left the Beatitudes. That's been the last four weeks or so. Um, and so we said at the beginning that, that character precedes conduct, that what comes out of the heart is going to impact the actions. And so, of course, Jesus starts with blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the mourners and blessed are the meek, all of these character qualities that we're supposed to have. And, and if this is what your heart is, then we're going to see the actions come out of it. So now Jesus is on the action-oriented part of the sermon, but all of that even is connected to the heart. So I wanted to start today, uh, we're talking about the Old Testament law, and Jesus is going to say that he came to fulfill it, and we're going to look at that in just a second. It's kind of a famous passage, and uh, before we do that though, I want to talk about some, some old laws that may or may not be still on the books in Wisconsin. Are you ready? Laws that may or may not be on the, still on the books in Wisconsin. I have about seven of them. Let's take a look at them. Cheese making requires a cheesemaker's license. Did you know that? But Limburger cheese making requires a master cheesemaker's license. Just so you know. Don't mess with the Limburger. It's illegal to cut a woman's hair. That'll save you some money. <clears throat> in lacrosse, it's illegal to play checkers in public. Keep that in mind when you're in lacrosse. And you cannot worry a squirrel. I have no idea what that means. I googled it and, and I can't find an answer. I couldn't find an answer what it means. Maybe that's when, you, when you're a little kid and you take your pellet gun and you're going like this, you know. Is that probably what it is? I, I think, maybe. Next one. In Racine, it's illegal to wake a fireman when he's asleep. And can I get an amen? Is Dave Kirby here? Amen? Amen. All right. St. Croix, women are not allowed to wear anything red in public. Again, I googled it. I tried to find an answer of why, but I couldn't find the answer. Maybe someone here knows. I don't know. State law made it illegal to serve apple pie in public restaurants without cheese. Yes, Wisconsin, there must be cheese with your apple pie. And I thought, I've never had apple pie with cheese. I've been a lawbreaker. <laughs> okay. Now, um... Is this number seven, by the way, Jim? Is this the last one of Wisconsin? Okay. Whenever two trains meet at an intersection of said tracks, neither shall proceed until the other has. <laughs> Figure it out, Wisconsin. This is, this is who you are. Now, I wanted Andrew, our Pastor Andrew, to feel the love here this morning. Pastor Andrew needs to feel a little bit of love. So, this is in honor of Andrew Glenn, our famous uh, resident of... Uh, Arkansas. I mean Arkansas. Okay. The first one. A law provides that the school teachers who bob their hair will not get a raise. 
Right. <laughs> okay, next. Alligators may not be kept in bathtubs. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. At Arkansas State University, two people cannot hold hands while standing in a doorway unless they belong to a union. Yes. That'll get you to sign up. Pay your dues. Is it Fayetteville? Is that how you say that? Fayetteville? It's illegal to kill any living creature. Any living creature. (laughs) Mosquitoes? I don't... Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) All right, next. Flirtation between members of the opposite sex in the streets of Little Rock may result in a 30-day jail term. That's why Andrew's here. That's right. (laughs) And it's illegal to mispronounce the name of the state of Arkansas in that state. But I could do it here. It's okay. It's okay. And Little Rock, it's unlawful to walk one's cow down the main street after 1 p.m. on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday is free game. Get your cow and take them down Main Street. So, Now, who do you think has crazier laws on the books? Arkansas or Wisconsin? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the thing. Did you feel at home right then, Andrew? Did that just like was that like a taste of home? All right. Yes. Wanted to give that to you. You survived another long winter. So, um okay. So, um I think I think there's an issue with us in the church that a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament law, we look at it through the same lenses as we just did with those old state laws. You, kind of, you, you can open Torah, which is the Old Testament law, and actually the whole Old Testament, and, and, you, and you can read it and go, that's weird. We don't do that anymore. I just read laws about how I'm supposed to trim my beard, but I don't have a beard, you know? And I just read laws about what I can eat and not eat, what kind of fish I can't eat, can't eat pork, you know, and, and you read these things. I read laws about how I'm supposed to handle the mold in my house. And so, you know, if you've got mold, you better make sure you deal with it in a Torah-observing manner. And so you read these things, and there's a temptation to say, that's just strange. And there's a reason we don't need to listen to that anymore, because it's just plain weird. But that's not the way Jesus viewed the law, and so I'd say that's not the way we should view the law. But we do need to know how do we treat it. How does Jesus look at it? So how do we need to look at it? I'm saying clearly then, old state laws are not how we view Old Testament law. That doesn't work. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. What we're doing here in this section is, we just said Jesus had just done his Beatitudes. Beatitudes are statements of blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, and the rest. And so knowing that this is the kind of character that we're supposed to have, Jesus is now going to move on and talk about uh, how we're supposed to live. And again, it's all about the heart, but we're talking about actions too, conduct. And so before he does that, he has to give some introductory words. Because he's going to say, he's going to say six times, he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And he's going to, he could be accused of changing the law. 
But we know he's not. He's only showing the real purpose of it. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't be angry with your brother. Don't call your brother, you fool. Because doing that is getting at the heart of what it means to murder somebody. Murdering, murdering uh, uh, takes the image of God and devalues it. And so does saying these things. So that's what he's going to say to prepare them for this shocking word. He needs to talk about what you do with the law. So here is his introductory words to everything he's about to say. Verse 17 of Matthew 5. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, which means mark it down. (laughs) Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless, uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, as we just said, the next verse in twenty-one is, "You've heard it said, but I tell you." Okay, <clears throat> I want to. I want to just say. One, I may want to make one statement about each of these verses. The first two statements are kind of theological statements. And the last two things, the last two points in your notes are application. Like, what do we do next with all of this teaching? So verse 17, Jesus reassures his hearers. I've not come. I have not come to abolish the Law and the Prophets. Now, Law and the Prophets is just a fancy way of saying the Old Testament. But they didn't call it the Old Testament. They called it the Law and the Prophets. You had, you had laws in the Old Testament and you had prophets. And that's just a way of summarizing what you've got there. So he's saying, I didn't come to destroy, that's, that's the word abolish, I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. So you say, okay, what does fulfill mean? This is, this is a mission statement, by the way. Jesus often talked like this. You know, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve. That's a mission statement. I came not to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Now, if you were here two and a half years ago when we looked at the book of Galatians, I preached a message similar to this on the nature of the law, because the Apostle Paul talks a lot about the law in Galatians. We talked about this. So if this is like part two, awesome. If it's a little bit of repetition, awesome. Jesus is saying that he has come to fill full the Old Testament. Jesus' mission on earth, this is number one, was to quote-unquote fill full the doctrines, the predictions, and the moral demands of the Old Testament. That's why he came. The word fulfill literally means fill full. That's what it literally means. Sometimes we get hung up on the word fulfill because we're like, I'm not sure what that word fulfill means, but if you think of it as to fill something full, like you're filling a glass full, that's what Jesus came to do with the Old Testament. Um, Theologian uh, John Stott has kind of 
categorized these fulfillments into three ways that he did it. And I've given you those three ways in this point. He fulfilled doctrines, predictions, and moral demands. I want to talk about each of those just briefly. I just want to touch on them. Uh, A, then, is Jesus fulfilled doctrinal teaching by revealing the mystery of the gospel. Jesus fulfilled doctrinal. Now, doctrine is like teaching us about who God is. What is sin? How do you get saved? You know, how do you deal with sin? The Old Testament's full of those doctrines. You've got to kill goats. You've got to kill bulls. And they, that, that animal pays for your sin on the altar. There's a lot of that stuff. Jesus fulfills the doctrinal teaching. Now, you know that verse? It's in Isaiah, and then Paul quotes it in, in uh, one of the Corinthian letters. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. I know I just I probably skipped this a little bit. Let me get the full thing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Sometimes you hear that verse at funerals. It's often applied to heaven. Is that verse used in the Bible to refer to heaven? No, it's not. Let me give you the two verses before that verse. Let's pull that up first, uh, the Corinthians passage. This is right before no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden, that God, is, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the wisdom of God from before the creation of the world. And then you get the verse, the next part. However, as it's written, this is an Old Testament quote, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Revealed what? The Gospel. It's revealed what salvation is. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. In other words, heaven has been partially revealed. So I think you could apply this verse to heaven and that would be okay. But you think of the revelation we have of the Gospel that is the clear mystery of God being revealed. The Old Testament, it was there. It was kind of cloudy, like we killed animals. How does that bull die for my sins? How can an animal take my sins? Well, the animal points forward to the God-man, Jesus, who would take your sins. That's the fullness of the doctrine. That's the revelation of what that really was talking about. So, when you read the Old Testament, you've got to have the New Testament in mind as well, and Jesus in particular, to understand where it was all going. Uh, that's doctrine. Now, B, Jesus fulfilled the predictions of the ceremonial law by becoming a sacrifice for sin. So all of those animals that died were pointing forward to Jesus. We were just watching one of the Bible miniseries, uh, the, the one that's on, that you can watch, it's on the History Channel, and uh, someone took a knife and, you know, of course, no animals were harmed in the making of this, this uh, video. But, you know, you could see them cut the neck of the lamb and the blood was dripping out. And you're like, whoa, you know. And I, di I didn't know they would show that. And, and Caitlin was watching it and she was like, whoa, you know, they just killed a lamb. That's intense. And there is a sense where you go, why does the lamb have to die? Why he's put the lamb's blood on the doorposts when the death angel came on the pe first Passover? That's intense. 
But it was pointing forward to when people would crucify God. That's intense. He didn't deserve it, just like the lamb didn't deserve it. You see, that's why we have the Old Testament laws. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled their predictions. He was the one. Um, Give me Hebrews 10. Can we put that up there? The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities in themselves. For this reason, they can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. In other words, the sacrifices will never fully clean you up and never really deals with your guilt. Next part. Uh, if they could, would, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Still feel guilt. I killed the lamb, killed the bull. I still feel guilt. Next part. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take sins away. Next verse. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. What scroll? The Old Testament scroll. The Torah. I've come to do your will, O God. Everything was pointing to Jesus. You don't have to offer any of those sacrifices anymore. Even though you're commanded to do it, Christ was the final one. Okay, there's a fulfillment there. Uh, Part C. Jesus fulfilled the moral law by obeying it. He fulfilled the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled all of... So we have moral laws in the Old Testament that are repeated in the New. They're not ceremonial. They're not like how the priests are supposed to function and how you're supposed to offer a sacrifice. They are moral laws. It's it's not okay to lie. It's not. It's not okay to murder. It's not okay to steal. It's never okay to steal. It's a moral law. It's in the old. It's repeated in the new. We've got to pay attention to those. Um, Let me keep moving here. Uh, The verse that I have for this is, uh, I think the Mark one, is that right? Or is it Hebrews? We'll do Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The statement there is, Jesus lived underneath the hundreds of commands of the law and never broke one. I mean, sure, people accused him of breaking them. But he didn't. You healed on the Sabbath. How dare you? And Jesus said, actually, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but you can do good on it. So even though he was accused of being a lawbreaker, he actually was not. He actually showed how to, how to do the Sabbath in the right way. So, I, I mean, honestly, I felt completely justified when I was a youth pastor. I rounded up kids one Sunday morning, and we went raking people's houses, you know. Sunday morning, work. Is it lawful to do good? Yes. It is lawful to do good. Okay. Um, let's have a good illustration, hopefully, here. Remember these? Road atlases. This is an old-fashioned GPS, kids. It doesn't talk to you. You can't change its voice. In fact, if you're in the car with your spouse and you're using this, you might change your voice, too.
Where are we going? I thought you knew where we were going. Ah! Rip! Stop at the gas station. No, I know where we're going. (laughs) That's how we changed our GPS voices back in the day. Okay? This was a test of your marriage. I want you to know this. And many of us passed the test. (laughs) Man, didn't plan on going that far with that illustration. Okay. If I'm going through Mississippi, I got my atlas. I can see that Highway 55 is the best way through, apparently. Straight through Mississippi. Um, If you ever opened a map and you only had half of it, you're not going to arrive at the right destination. If you ever opened a map and you found out that one of your kids got it and ripped a page out, you know, or colored over the thing, you're not going to get to the right place. And, and I think what we're saying about the Old Testament law is that Jesus needed to fill it full. We needed the full map. Because we're driving from Three Lakes to Austin, Texas. And, and if you only have halfway through the country, you're not going to get to the right place. And in a sense, God is saying, you know what? The blood of bulls and goats, that's halfway there. We're halfway there. But we need the one that's going to come and give us the full map. Otherwise, you'll never get there. Sin will never fully be forgiven unless the God-man, Jesus, will do it. Okay? You'll never get to Austin without the full map. You'll never get to heaven without Jesus. He comes to fill it full. Here's the second half. All right. Number two. The next verse Jesus has here. We'll come back to this later. Um, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, which means mark it down. This is serious, people. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. By the way, Hebrew letters do depend on the stroke of a pen. There's a little dot here and it changes the whole letter, right? Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, what do you do with that? Because I read this and I, and I see two untils. Do you see the two untils? Until heaven and earth disappear and until everything is accomplished. Until heaven and earth disappear is a fancy way of saying until the end of the age. Until the end of the age. Not, every word of the law is permanent until the end of the age. But then he says, until everything's accomplished. So, until everything is accomplished, every word of the law is permanent. Some Christians say, aha! When Jesus died on the cross, everything was accomplished. And that means we don't have to worry about the law at all. It's done. It's impermanent. It's done. Don't, don't worry about it. Hmm. Jesus did accomplish his death for sins to pay the price. And I've received redemption, and many of you in this room have received redemption. You've been freed from your sins. You've been forgiven completely. I still sin. You still sin. 
Creation still groans, the Apostle Paul says. Some really wise people have said, it has been accomplished. I wonder, and other really wise scholars have said, there's two untils here. Until the end of the age, heaven and earth disappear, and until everything's accomplished. By the way, the word accomplish is not the same word for fulfill. It's a different word. We can treat it differently. What if until the end of the age and until everything's accomplished refer to the same event? Okay? Jesus comes back. We're looking for his glorious coming. And on that day, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. But until that day, we need the Old Testament. It's permanent until the end of the age at which time everything will be accomplished. That's an interpretation of this verse, okay? You're free to disagree with me on this. You're free to say, when Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, that was the finishing of the Old Testament law. I think you're free to say that. I don't think it's the best interpretation, but really godly Christians have come to that conclusion. But if we're right here, then the law still serves an important function in our life today. And we better pay attention to it. Okay, let me keep going. Number three, we're going to head into, uh, oh, let me say one more thing about number two. This means, at the very least it means, you can't say, oh, those silly laws that they used to follow back then. You can't say that. It's permanent. It's the word of God. When does the word of God just become less than permanent? This is the holy word of God. This isn't, you know, the joke that we all make, and I make it too, is if you're reading through your Bible in a year, you get to the, you know, the laws, and you're like, whoa, hard, hard sledding through those. And it, and it is at times. But it's the Word of God. And we pay attention to it. It's permanent. Okay. I think I'll, I think I'll stop there with that. Um, number three. So what are Jesus' disciples supposed to do with the law? What do we do with the law? Well, Jesus answers that question too. And he says it like this. This is verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That is a sobering verse if there's ever one for a Bible teacher to read. So if I don't teach the beard laws of the Old Testament, I'll be called least. How many beards do we have here this morning? You know? Um, It's sobering. But there is a way to interpret it. Jesus' disciples now teach and practice the law by loving God and loving neighbor. It's the greatest commandments, and Jesus gave us these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills it. And, and the verse I'd point you beyond Jesus' commandments is uh, Romans 13.10. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment. There's our word again. Love is the fulfillment, the filling full of the law. If you just love people, you'd fill the law full. 
I think I've used this example before, but there comes a time in every parent's life where they're driving in the car and their kid looks at the speed limit and says, it says 35, Dad, but you're going 45. You're breaking the law. And then you say, no, 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 it's okay. The police don't mind. And then they say, okay, click. The seatbelt comes off. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait. Hold on. Click that belt back on. That's the law. You know. <laughs> Whoops. Hypocrisy. Um, we obey speed limits because it loves the other drivers around us. We buckle seatbelts because it loves our children. Our children are safer with them on, safer in a car seat. You know, it, w- that's why we obey the law. It, it is based, that, even that law is based on love. By the way, I'm not saying all of our American laws are perfect. I'm only saying that we, we obey them. Um, Romans 15.4 Everything that was written in the past was written for us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Everything was written in the Old Testament for you. You can still use it. You can still get wisdom from it. It can still show you how to love people well. Let's go back to my atlas. It's kind of like since Jesus came and since I know Jesus, it's kind of like I've created a new interstate through the state. It's kind of like I can almost, it's like Jesus took a sharpie and he was like, you know, the Old Testament law said take Highway 39 down here and, and then turn here. I'm just going to take my sharpie and just draw it straight through. You know, the law is a straight line to the heart of Jesus and being like he is. It's a straight line. You can summarize it easy. That riles some people up. Taking a sharpie to a map, you get to draw your own highways. That sounds scary. It sounds like you're making up your own laws. Oh no, we're not. Because if we actually get off course, and if we actually take the moral laws in the Old Testament and ignore them, we're not loving. Who defines what love is? God does. So you can say, it feels loving to me. This is often given as an excuse to engage in uh, sexual immorality. It feels loving to me. I want to do this. How can you tell me that an act of love between two people, and God says it's not love at all? You can't say that. If you love me, God says, obey my commandments. Right? And Jesus in the Great Commission said, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Our marching orders are to teach people to obey God because that's how we love Him. So even though taking a magic marker and drawing a straight line feels scary to the church and some people use it as an excuse to do whatever they want, we remember the law is permanent until the end of the age. And it'll keep us on that right course because some people say, it feels loving and I'm drawing my own line. No, Jesus draws the line through the map, not us. And we follow his highway, not ours. And if you get off on a side street called sin, he wants us back on the highway. You took the detour and called it love. But you can't do that because we still have commandments.
Lastly, then we'll finish it up here. This is a troubling verse too. It's like none of these are easy. For I tell you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness, the good things that you do, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are paid to be good, you know, these these are like the best of the best, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. A Pharisee's righteousness was, I mean, they were famous for being sticklers about the law. You better not work on the Sabbath. And if you carry stuff on the Sabbath, you're going to be in trouble. They were sticklers for Old Testament righteousness. How do we interpret this verse then? You better be better than the Pharisees. And let me tell you how it's going to look. And then he goes on to teach. You know, I think there's something beautiful here. What is, when is the first time Jesus referred to righteousness on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled. Who does the filling? God. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. How do I get how do I look better than the most righteous people around? And the answer is simple. You let God fill you, right? You let God fill you with righteousness. He gives it away for free. And when he gives it away for free, you start to live it in your actions. That's the answer. All I have to do is ask for it. Hunger for it. We're talking about the heart. So why does Jesus say your righteousness has to be bigger than the Pharisees? It has to be greater than the Pharisees. Let's say it like this. The Pharisees obeyed the letter of the law and Jesus commands us to obey the spirit of the law, the heart of the law. Jesus is going to say things like, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you not to lust. So the Pharisees could say, I've never broken the command to commit adultery. I am righteous. And Jesus says, really? What have you been thinking about? See, it didn't go deep enough. It didn't go far enough. Adultery of the heart is a concern to God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So, even though the Pharisees went further than what the law required, that is, you know, don't carry this many pounds on a, on a Saturday, you know, don't do that. They added laws, man-made laws, and it looked like they were being spiritual, but their heart was never there. Jesus said, you guys have the outside of the cup, it looks really clean, but the inside of the cup is not clean, so woe to you. When you hunger on the inside for, for being like God and being righteous, he fills you with it. It's a free gift. And then you get to live like it. And then your righteousness is better than the rule keepers, the goody two-shoes, you know? Give me a person that desires Jesus over the person that knows how to keep the rules. Give me that person, is what Jesus is saying here. Okay, we're going to finish up here. And I'll invite the worship team to take their place behind me. Let me just say this. Our message is 
that Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, lived underneath the law, kept the law perfectly. When he was on trial, they tried to find uh, people to accuse him, and their testimonies never measured up. You know what? If you wanted to find someone that could accuse me of sin, you could find them. You know? You could have a lineup of people that could tell you about my sin. You could ask my kids. They could tell you. You could ask my wife. They could tell you. But when it came for Jesus, a public Messiah, who everyone was watching and they couldn't find a sin to pin on him, that's what the Scriptures say. He was perfect in every way. And tempted, but without sin. And so he died on the cross for you. So if you're here today and you're like, I need that, I just invite you to talk with Jesus right now in the coming time when we're singing songs and say, Jesus, forgive me and give me that righteousness. Give me that forgiveness. I want to be one of your kids. And he'll fill you with it. He'll fill you with it. Let's pray. Jesus.